You know, I have the opportunity to work with news organizations and also with governments, and I see the same problem, generating legitimacy and trust and having to redesign the structure of how they interact with publics. Hey, Archie. Hey, Caesar. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs> it's going okay. So um, this week we have a really interesting guest with us. I'm excited to meet him. I've heard so much about him from you. Yeah, Eric is uh, he's a friend, a colleague, and someone who's really deep into this work about thinking about civic engagement and civic design. He's actually director of the Engagement Lab at Emerson College mm-hmm. and uh, the author of several books around civic media and civic participation. And we're delighted to have him with us today. So, Eric, it's great to have you here. Uh, Well, we're in some interesting times in this country. And one of the reasons we were excited about having you on the show is, you know, you and I, over a few years, have actually been connected lots of different things. You know, you put out a book a year ago that uh, you invited me to be co-author a piece on. And we've just been doing, you know, you've been doing lots with the engagement lab at Emerson College, other work you've been doing. It's really kind of grounded in this stuff about how how are we actually building a new civic infrastructure in this country, a new fabric. And you've also been doing national studies, looking about what's going on around the country. And so I'm curious, what's your take on where are we in this civic space in our country? Are we things moving in the right direction? Are we like stalled? I think we're not just stalled. We're we're moving in the reverse direction mm-hmm. at the moment. And what I and I suppose the the thing that bothers me most is the the way in which our national discourse is is playing out. Mm-hmm. Um, that what's what's happening is that we are unable as a as a nation to have conversations um, we're mostly just defending our positions and the uh, and that's no way of, of having a conversation um, the the idea that people need to negotiate and give and take uh, and learn from one another is something that needs needs a lot of help and as I understand what a civic fabric should be it's really the conditions through which people can, learn from each other so that they can collaboratively move forward. And I don't feel like oh, we're going in that direction. And so for me, the, the the place where I feel like I can make the most change or have the most impact is really thinking about the infrastructure through which we talk, the infrastructure through which people are uh, enabled to take actions or do things uh, in the world. And so what I've been spending my time thinking is about the media that enables those conversations to take place. And when I say media, I don't only mean digital or broadcast. I'm actually referring even to the designed conditions in which people have conversations in physical space. All of those things seem to be in need of significant repair. Uh, and the national discourse is just amplifying the urgency of, mm-hmm. of this repair work. So if I get this correct, it's like we need to go from playing defense to learning from each other. But that isn't so much of a mindset change as it is a systems change. Is that correct? I think it's both. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, systems generate and produce mindsets. Uh, And so 
the the structures that we exist in are going to change the way that we inhabit those structures. But if we actually have a different mindset going into those structures, then we might think that they're not adequate and they're not fitting our our needs. So, uh, so it's not it's not one or the other. I, I think we need to sort of shift expectations while at the same time we're doing the the work of design, which is you know, working with the organizations that are having the most impact on the design of spaces wherein people are interacting. And that's media organizations, that's government organizations, that's NGOs. Uh, that's the sort of large kind of tapestry of civic organizations that we're operating within. Well, that's, you know, I guess one of the things that I want to ask you is like in kind of looking around, so you said like, you know, this is really government, this is media, this is kind of, you know, community-based organizations or NGOs working on this. Have what do you think the role of other institutions are mm. in doing this space? Like, I mean, what's the role of businesses in this area or... Well, like news media, you know, you were talking news about. news media and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think huge. Uh, so, I mean, those are those are separate. So, let me take, oh, okay. um, you know, new, news media or, you know, journalistic organizations are a huge part of this. And I've actually been doing some work with um, with journalistic organizations. And, and, and I actually think that the problems that they're facing are... Um, quite similar to the oh. problems that government is facing, uh, for oh. example. And what that means is that all of these organizations, let's just say legacy organizations, oh. are experiencing a, a trust deficit, right? They are operating in a situation where they don't have trust of their constituents, their listeners, their audiences. And part of that is that the expectations from listeners and audiences are changed because of the possibilities of direct communication now that digital media has mm-hmm. has created, right? So, so if we can speak directly to one another, or if the president of the United States can speak directly to the people through Twitter, then why do we need government organizations? Why do we need the organizations that surround these things? Um, news organizations, for example, are, you know, they play a mediating role, they play an editorial role. Mm-hmm. And they're experiencing a situation where the their audiences don't trust their editorial decisions and the the notion of of um, objective reporting is in some pretty significant questioning so the challenge that these organizations from journalism all the way to government are facing is how do we build trust with the people who suspend their disbelief and enable us to take editorial actions as an organization. We are the, the those organizations are the mediating entities, and that requires trust in among the people who are the beneficiaries of those mediating entities for them to function. And so, this work I've been doing with news organizations, we've been talking to journalists who are exploring things like engagement journalism or solutions journalism or these other kind of modes of of reporting where communities are not reported on but reported with and they're doing it as a means of because well because they understand that part of the role of journalism is actually to build trust with readers and audiences and to build community. And in fact, there is a relationship between community organizing and journalism. So again, it's not just reporting on, but reporting with. And so you have large organizations that are creating engagement desks, for instance, um, that are, are thinking about these issues well beyond, say, social media marketing. They're thinking about this in, a, in, in the form of community organizing. Um, so it's not just kind of small blog outlets that are doing this. And that transition, I think, is a fascinating one and one that suggests that 
something has to change, that the organizations have to adapt in this context of immediate networked communication. They have to do that extra work to generate the trust and the goodwill among the constituents that they represent or serve. And, and I think what's so interesting about this is that you know, I have the, the opportunity to work with news organizations and also with governments, mm -hmm. and I see the same problem. Mm -hmm. Both of them, both of these kinds of organizations are struggling with generating legitimacy and trust and, and having to do things in a different way, having to redesign the structure of how they interact with publics so that they can do their work and even reconceptualize the work that they do. Right. So like, this is so interesting to me because I actually feel like what you're describing is a story of these government players or these, you know, players in the journalism space seeing their own irrelevance. Right. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, shit. if I'm going to be irrelevant, how do I reverse that trend? Yep. And so it's fascinating to me because I feel like the literature around building civic trust or a sense of civic duty is actually a bit removed from this conversation around legitimacy and relevance. Yep. Um, so that's really fascinating to me that you're kind of describing actually this evolution in the organization itself to do more than just sell to or market to um, their user base, whether it be constituents or readers. Yeah, when, when I first started doing this work, I was very interested in the front end of engagement. Mm. I was very interested in the you know what the interface was between the the public and you know the the organization i suppose and now as i do this work more and more i think about the front end matters there needs to be these engaging opportunities for people to interact and to discuss and to learn and to influence but if the back end doesn't respond to the front end mm. if the organization cannot learn and sustain then we're going nowhere right. and and i've come to really um believe in the importance, the, the continued importance of not just organizations, but institutions, mm -hmm. right? So we could talk about these emerging institutions. We can talk about, you know, kind of networked organizations or even just networked groups of people that can that can rise up and then go down in a moment, right? Mm -hmm. That's important. That's really important that that's possible now. Mm -hmm. But if we don't have the sustainability of the of the institution, I think our democracy suffers. Mm -hmm. And so, again, over the last couple of years, I've really shifted my concern um, to this kind of organizational framework, yeah. uh, trying to understand how organizations can adapt and achieve that, reimagine themselves in order to remain relevant mm -hmm. in a way that's driven by different a different value structure. So, for instance. I mean, look at the New York Times as an example. I mean, the New York Times is, of course, attacked by the right as fake news and, and illegitimate. And then it's also distrusted by a lot of people on the left. You know, if you're if you're a person of color and, and poor and you feel like your entire life you've been ignored or worse, you've been inaccurately represented, um, then of course you don't trust that organization, right? right? So And so you've got this sort of middle and i realized this about myself it's like when I, when i realized like well i trust the new york times <laughs> because the new york times has always served me you know right. the new york like yeah. I, institutions have been good to me right um you know and and i've benefited from them and so what i've realized is that 
it's not just the reporting capacity of an organization like the New York Times, but it's about an influential organization like that doing the work of redefining itself in a moment where that distrust cannot just be swept under the rug or ignored. That distrust is loud and present right now. And there has to be work by organizations to reimagine themselves to accommodate that and respond to that distrust. Hmm. Wow. And it's, you know, and hearing this from you, Eric, it's making me think that kind of the life of our democracy, in some sense, is going to depend on how these institutions respond to this. Mm. I think a lot of times we think about, well, it's really about government and it's just about citizens voting, but there's this whole other piece. How they vote and how they interact will have a lot to say about how much trust they have in institutions that are there yeah. to support them and work with them. And so if these institutions aren't able to step up in this way, then we're kind of really in big trouble. Yeah. Wow. What's another example of having worked with a sort of private entity, whether it be, I don't know if you work with like, you know, we've been thinking about real estate development in the role of urban life or banking in the role of, you know, even we work like co-working spaces. Um, so can you maybe speak to how these engagement desks, like you were describing, look outside of the realm of, you know, journalism and government? So I think when we're talking about the private sector, in some ways, it's a much clearer proposition, you know, because there really? is a, yeah, yeah. because there is a bottom line that's fairly transparent. Hmm. You know, we know what real estate developers need to do. <laughs> um, uh-huh. And and yes, we can align motivations um, so that the profit-making motivation of the real estate developer is aligned with other benefits that, hmm. that we can imagine. But we're not going to change the profit motivation of the real estate developer. Mm-hmm. And in some ways like that, there's like a really nice clarity there. Yeah. It's like, cool, like technology companies need to sell technology. Data companies need to market their data and uh, real estate developers need to develop and sell their real estate. But when we talk about government and we talk about, you know, even though, you know, news organizations are often for profit, they have a messier, it's a messier proposition there, Uh right? So so in some ways I'm comforted by the business model that's clear (laughs) Um, and and, and it's sort of easier to tweak and to work with. Whereas these other organizations that I think are more foundational to our civic infrastructure need some more attention. But how do you align profit and trust or like backend modernization and engagement, right? Like how are those things being aligned and like positively correlated with profit? Like what does it even look like? (laughs) Because there's all sorts of ways of making profit. So let's just say the community wants a real estate developer, let's say, to have you know, 30% affordable units in there in, in what they're developing. The real estate developer will come back and say, okay, well, if we do that, then we need to develop two more stories so that we can have the density that we need in order to meet that 30% mm-hmm. mark. So in that case, they're not saying we're not motivated by profit. They're saying, yeah, we're still motivated by profit. Here's what we need to do in order to make the profit that we need to make. Now, um, and again, I'm not saying that it's possible that we could say, well, their profit margin is too big. Mm. They should lower their profit margin so that they can do good in the world. And we can advocate for that. And mm-hmm. we can then we can advocate for the government to make some of those demands and put limits on density, for example, if that's what our desired goal is. But again, we can put restrictions and regulations on that profit motive through other kinds of regulatory bodies and advocacy mm-hmm. um, attempts so that the real estate developer is placed you know, in some sort of check. So mm-hmm. they're not civic actors, nor mm-hmm. should we expect them to be. We want to create the infrastructure for them to continue to do their work 
but within an accepted framework, mm. right? So, so again, I, I don't think we need to include them in sort of civic washing their organization because that's mm. not authentic. Let's just let let's let a duck be a duck, you know. <laughs> let, let's just let that happen uh, and and uh, and and work around it and uh, and then build the other infrastructure so that we can we can make sure that their profit motivation is not in complete disalignment with civic goals, mm. right? So I want to I want to push on this one a little bit. Yeah, I think it's a really interesting uh, perspective to think. Uh, so I want to go back to the issue of trust in institutions and how people trust institutions. So one way to look at that is okay, these institutions need to change, right? They need to figure out how to actually work better with their communities. They need to do a series of things that are going to let trust build. Another way to look at it said is well, they can do that all they want, but the real distrust issue is actually among the people. And if we build up trust among the people, then they'll be able to hold those institutions accountable for the things that they want to do. So maybe we shouldn't be putting the, mm. the emphasis on the institution. Yeah. We should be putting the emphasis on the polity and figuring out how it can be in a more trustful relationship. And that that will actually write the rest of these institutions. Why do we have to pick? Well, maybe we don't. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think those are both important things. Yeah. Um, but if we don't focus on the institutional transformation, I don't know that those institutions are just going to automatically transform themselves. You know, right. I think that there there needs to be some deliberate assistance uh, in 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 allowing those institutions yeah. to to transform. And I agree with you I, that we need to also work on the the polity side. But mm-hmm. um, but I I guess I don't believe that that kind of interpersonal communication is ever totally absent of these institutions, you know, mm-hmm. that in the right. background, there are these government organizations that are facilitating certain aspects of, of, of civic life. There are news organizations that are creating the information landscape uh, that we're operating in. Um, there are media platforms like YouTube and Facebook that are also uh, a part of this conversation. We haven't talked about that yet, but I think that that's another piece of this, uh, the, the information landscape that we need to, that we need to address. But I, I kind of feel like we need to address all of these things at once. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I'm, what, what I'm saying is that my, my personal efforts have moved towards the institutional transformation, right. but I think that there's all sorts of room for other things. Other things. Yeah. So yeah, let's say a little bit about the social media companies and and uh, their yeah. role in this. Yeah. Because there you almost have a mix, right? Yeah. They're, they are creating the peer-to-peer conversation, but they are also institutions that are generating, in a lot of cases, a lot of mistrust. Yeah. So they're actually an interesting space because it's very different. It is. And I also think that their business model tends to be a little mysterious for most people. Yeah. You know, most people don't realize that Facebook is a data company. And, you know, that's important to know. Mm-hmm. And so I think we have to be better at laying bare how these companies are making money mm-hmm. uh, so that people can make better decisions about these things. So if we if, if people understood that data is the big money maker, then maybe the reason for the particular AI that's directing me in a direction so that I stay on that site and continue to contribute my data 
um, maybe we would question that a little bit more. So I think, again, it's about transparency in business models. And, you know, I would like to see the these social media platforms be a little bit more transparent in how they're making money so that consumers can be a little smarter about how they're using it. That's really, I mean, it's really, I'm actually fascinated by this. Uh, all the time we've talked, I don't think we've ever talked about this point uh, specifically, but the idea that one of the things we need in order for the public to understand where it is vis-a-vis these institutions, and particularly in the business world, is to really clearly understand what the model is, really be able to be clear of what the goal is, really be able to be clear what their, you know, their business proposition is. People need to know that because if people know that, then they have an ability to kind of work with that. And you're not even saying there's a right and wrong model in that. Mm. It's just be clear about it. And then one of the problems with our public institutions, there is no clarity. There is no clarity. Yeah. And there probably can't be any clarity. That's right. So you have one set of institutions in our lives that can provide clarity, another set of institutions that may not be able to provide clarity, and the public has to work in both of those right. in order to make a democracy right. work. When I, when I watch TV with my kids, uh, if there's a commercial break, I'll turn off the volume mm-hmm. and I'll ask them, what are they selling? And um, and so when you watch commercials, like a car commercial, and it's a you know you're seeing a Ooh, uh, you know you're seeing a kind of like <laughs> wild landscape and a you know a car driving through a wild landscape, and um, you know and and then if they say like well that's they're selling a car, and just to ask them like well why why are, why are they you know you haven't even seen the car yet right. you've just seen the <laughs> you've just seen the landscape um, so what's what's going on and so like if we look at commercials and the way that mm-hmm. commercials tend to frame what it is that they're selling often they're trying to um, obfuscate the object that they're selling too they're selling a feeling they're selling a lifestyle they're you know right. and so that's so often what happens is that the 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 clarity of what people are selling the goal is to actually make that unclear uh, so mm. that you're just just sort of like mildly inspired to go and and, <laughs> and fulfill this fantasy that you've been uh, given. So I think I see that in, in sort of, you know, I think we can expand that notion of like if we just for a moment just turn off the volume on this stuff and we just ask, you know, that everything around us, like we're being sold things, what are we being sold and why uh, is is a really good exercise. Uh, and And I think we should even do that with our public institutions, you know, our public institutions aren't necessarily selling anything, but they have a there's a set of values that's guiding the work. What governance means is always uh, a factor in how things get done. And if our public institutions are not effectively uh, reflecting on what governance is and should be, then we should hold them accountable. So I think that there's something there about just silence and reflection, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. in a metaphorical sense. Yeah. Um, One thing that you were saying about, you know, not only is it important for us to be mindful of what we're being sold, but also for these institutions to be maybe more transparent about their models. And, you know, in the government's case, I think there's sort of this, I don't know, this value or sort of moral ethic almost about how they should serve and who they should serve and how often, et cetera. But in in, in the case of this car company, for example, right, like we've come to a place where the car that you drive or the clothes that you wear are often as telling about your political beliefs as your actual vote. And so what's the sort of responsibility of this car company, as an example, or 
you know, I'm thinking about like Nike, I'm thinking about there's so many even clothing brands. What's their responsibility in being transparent, um, in being open about the role that they are playing in our civic life, in our civic space? It's do they have any role, right? Like, is this is this a regulatory question? Like, how do you see that playing out? Well, it's it's interesting. I mean, what is their responsibility? What is this if, corporate social responsibility, right? Well, Can we that's, redefine that's a, this? That's a, yeah, right, exactly. Like, yeah. <laughs> that's a, but maybe that's a different thing. I mean, if, yeah. if I'm, and, and maybe it's a scale question. Yeah. So, you know, if I'm, a, if I'm selling kind of wooden flutes on the corner, I make wooden flutes and I sell them on the corner and I, and I, I make money based on the, you know, me, me selling these wooden flutes that I, that I make, do I have any responsibility to anyone besides, you know, m myself in this case to, to make enough mm -hmm. money so I can, I can get by. So on one sense, like that's sort of pure capitalism, right? right? Like we have this, uh, this idea that, that, yeah, we, it's super clear what I'm doing. I have a thing, I'm selling that thing, and then people are, are buying it. And, and I'm going to do what I need to do to sell it. But then at some point when I become Nike, um, and, uh, you know, and then it's no longer about simply just peddling shoes on the corner. Right. But it has, uh, there's, now all of a sudden my responsibility has increased because now I'm a, in a way, I'm a civic actor. I'm in, I'm giving money to politicians. Mm -hmm. I'm employing thousands of people. Like mm -hmm. there's, there's all sorts of other responsibilities now that, that come out of that. So, you know, does Nike have a responsibility to... Uh, invest in certain values of inclusivity and kind of, um, you know, anti-racism, maybe not. You know, maybe Nike has a responsibility to not exploit its employees. Uh, maybe Nike has a responsibility to be clear about its business models. And maybe we should be able to compartmentalize. Um, you know, here's here's capitalism. Here's what here's some clarity in purpose that's happening within this sector of, of society. And then over here, here are our kind of public sector organizations and systems. Uh, and and we hold that to a different level of, of scrutiny. And so I guess I, I keep going back to this, mm. you know, the the responsibility of, of actors is dependent on their on their specific role. Americans tend to trust corporations more than we trust government. Right. Um, and and so, if that is the case, then what needs to happen is that we need to really focus on making that trust that we have in corporations transparent and critical, um, and then allow us to to cultivate and to build our trust in in government and in public sector and civil society. Uh, I, so I, I feel like, mm. um, again, I, I keep going back to I don't care that much that Nike is a is a civic actor. I want them to be clear about what they're doing, and I want mm. to feel okay about being able to sort of put them in a corner and say, okay, that's what this, these people are doing, and I can watch my back if I want to, or I can buy their stuff if I want to. Um, and then over here, I need to have clarity as well. Mm. Wow. I don't know. I want Nike to like use the trust it has <laughs> with its consumer base to do more. You know, maybe I'm asking too much, right? But like, I'm perhaps still in this like bright-eyed stage of like, if these organizations, especially, you know, as the way that we engage with these civic actors goes from purchasing their products to just viewing, right? Like in Facebook's case, like I'm giving them money by simply viewing their page on my browser yep. or their app on my phone. And 
the fact that my relationship is so simple in viewership and yet is so somehow trusting is so, as a result, easily exploitable by Facebook. I understand that, right? Like if I was in Facebook shoes, not to like make Facebook some sort of human player, right? They're obviously a corporation and there's more going on. But I, I just, I wonder if, if I would never be treated that way by an individual or by my civic actors that I'm calling civic actors, what gives Facebook or Twitter or YouTube the right to do that? Well, because the, your relationship with those corporate entities is transactional, right? You you, you go to Facebook. I mean, Facebook may but be a so little bit more complicated. so is my relationship with the government. Well, not necessarily. So okay. th- let me use a slightly easier example before okay. going to Facebook. But let's just say a car company. Okay. I buy a car and the car is a good product. I trust the company because I, I had that transaction. It was a good transaction. I feel good about the price I paid. You know, that's how I build trust yeah. um, with that particular entity. With government, let's just say like the government could repair a sidewalk. Okay. All right. So yeah. so I've got I've got a hole in my sidewalk. Government repairs it. Great. In some ways, that's a that's a transaction. But what's happening there is that there's something more relational that that actually needs to to take place because my interaction with that government is not just about the the single and efficient transaction but it's about over time the mm-hmm. my ability to interact with this organization for a number of different things that actually scaffolds a, a huge piece of my life in ways that I don't even realize mm-hmm. um, and I think the same is true for news organizations mm-hmm. and that it's not simply transactional the way that we um, interact with with our information it's it can be more relational mm-hmm. and so the the way that I see the difference between these kind of civic actors both public sector and otherwise versus private sector actors you know the sort of more traditional kind of uh, corporate actors mm-hmm. um, is that that that's okay for that to be transactional. We want it to be transactional. We want when I buy shoes, I want that to be it's a transaction, and I want that to be a good one. Um, but I don't need a relationship with Nike, mm. uh, and and so I think that I, I I think we should think differently about what kinds of organizations require relational engagement, and what kinds actually would be better served by transactional engagement. Mm. And that when when you know when companies like Nike start talking about, you know, caring about their customers and having relationships with me, that makes me uncomfortable. Like, I, I don't want to have a relationship with my bank. Um, I, I want to have a transaction with it. And and yeah. so, I, you know, I think it's productive for us to, to yeah. differentiate these things. Again, it gets to this kind of civic washing that yeah. happens um, that makes me deeply uncomfortable. So I was going to say something about when you said the thing with your bank. But Sometimes the nature of the transaction and the ability to transact is about the relationship, right? It's like, because I'm actually in a relationship with you, even though you're my bank, and I'm carrying transactions with you, if I have good relationships with you and you have them with me, I get advantages in the transaction. Mm-hmm. And if I don't, I don't get them, right? Mm-hmm. So in some sense, I don't think it's necessarily true that these institutions are not in relationships. They're in relationships with certain parts of society, which get different kinds of transactional, are able to do different things through their transactions than other parts of society. And I think that's one of the reasons people say, well, well, maybe they need to be much a little bit more even about that, or at least transparent about it. Yeah. At least transparent about it. It's like, 
and I guess banks are kind of transparent about that, you know, because you have to be a gold customer and put $5 million in your bank and you get to do this, right? I mean, it's not an experience right. I have, Caesar, but yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> for, I was just reading that. <laughs> right, I mean, I suppose you can, you can think about airlines in the same way. Right. You know, like you can... They're the, they're the opposite. They're like, they started with the price where everyone was equal. And then they decided, oh. let's like change the price. Let's keep yeah. that price and give you less. Well, sure, that, that's true. <laughs> but, but if you think about the way that they treat their, you know, their first class, um, yeah. you know, mm. customers, the the lounges that they have access to. So, you know, there's all sorts of, there, there's definitely a, a class system, but we become comfortable with that, right? Like it's a, you know, it's 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 okay uh, in some ways because we understand because it, the, the rules of capitalism are transparent in that. Like, you know, in some mm. ways, yes, everyone can get on an airplane if you can afford it. Right. right. And capitalism has played a really important role in integration and assimilation in the United States. Right. That it was the railroads that allowed African-Americans to to ride if they could pay, you right. know, and that was con- controversial. But right. but it was capitalism. So it was right. like, OK, it's capitalism. So then why would we turn turn our backs on customers? And I think we see a history of that. Right. We see a history of business actually making really progressive strides because of the bottom line. It aligned with because, capital. Yeah. yeah, because like, yeah. look, if you can pay, why yeah. who do, why do we care who you yeah. are, you know? <laughs> and so in some ways, the market has been mm-hmm. able to make inroads into our diverse society faster than these public sector organizations, which I think is super interesting. So there is a role, and, and again, this goes back to the point, there is a role to the kind of transactional and clear, you know, yeah. like, this is capitalism. This yeah. is what it's about. Yeah. We don't want anything more from it. Yeah. Um, and we demand things from the other right. sector. So, so this right. is a really interesting question uh, for me. So taking those two areas, like there are places that are really operating out of capitalism, they're really transactional relationships, and then we have these public entities, civic entities that are out there. So what happens when, which we're seeing a lot of now, they actually try to take the capital market and deliver public goods through it, mm. like education. Yeah. It seems like there may be some things that, mm. you know, just taking your model where actually maybe these things should not operate in certain areas because they're driven by something that maybe they can't even deliver. Because when a private company comes in and takes over a school system to do charter schools like in New Orleans, their actual transactional relationship is with the government, not with the customers, Yeah, right? So there's no more relationship with the people who need to benefit from it actually on either end, Yeah, right? They're kind of cut out of the equation and just become, I don't know, what, do you, what is that thing? They become cogs in the wheel in some sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So maybe, yeah, we can make this distinction that says, okay, there, there are these places where we really just want to have these transactional relationships and that's okay but there's some places we should be very careful not to let those kinds of relationships enter into certain kinds of services and spaces. I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I think this is true when it comes to where we need to prioritize public value. Um, education is a perfect example, like that we shouldn't be outsourcing that. I mean, and we, we see this happening, you know, we see the Veterans Administration you know, the, this new effort to privatize uh, benefits mm-hmm. for health benefits for veterans. 
I think it's a terrible idea, right? So it's <laughs> like we have here we have a um, public system that is driven by certain values of of inclusion and access. And we're privatizing it with the idea that the market's going to get it out there faster, yeah. but the the transactional nature of that is is actually counterproductive to where we need to go. And I think it's exactly the case with schools, as you've mentioned, privatized prisons is another example. Uh, so so yes, we need to be really clear about where these boundaries are. And the the worst thing is to sort of have that creeping in of the transactional, the creeping in of the business model into what should be protected as the public domain. And really, this this comes down to where public value needs to be prioritized over profit motive, mm. and then that's part of the conversation that we should be having as as we neoliberalize so many aspects mm. of our of our society. But I think what what I'm saying about the clarity of the business model would go to that's the, that's the core of the critique of the privatization of educational systems, right? right? That's a you know, in that case, that doesn't work because um, not only are you you're not clear about the business model, you know, your customer is is obfuscated. Like all of it is all of it is unclear. Um, so instead, we should we should be drawing a line around that and say, look, no, the educational mission is a is a public sector public value proposition, and and in that case, it it needs to remain public. And again, I'm not saying that because it remains public, it needs to be completely organized by public sector organizations. Mm. I, we haven't talked a lot about civil society organizations, right. which I think right. play a huge role here, Right. Um, which are, you know, this kind of in-between player. Um, so it's not just government or not government. It's There's this whole other realm. But it's 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 really these kind of business models versus yeah. public exactly. and really making that distinction. This is a really interesting argument. I mean, I just want to, I just want to raise up for me what's been really powerful about this conversation is I think this is one of the first conversations I've ever had where someone has been able to say, well, actually, you can take a business model and it's good for certain kinds of things. And if you keep it in that mm. box, it's okay. Our problem is we're letting it get in a lot of other boxes and it's messing up things. And if we're worried about civic life, we should be worried about civic life and stuff in these public realms. Don't worry about it in the business realm so much. Because, because you have other ways of doing it. Yeah. yeah, it's contained and we can yeah. use, you know, that is transactional. We can actually use that to shift behavior in it if we want to. But this other realm is a lot more messier. It's where we should be putting our attention and we should be putting up some pretty clear firewalls. Right. A lot of what I'm hearing you say, and I'm, I feel like I need to reflect on this, you know, long after our conversation, is about not trying to make these private actors civic players. Yeah. And actually, like Caesar was just saying, you know, keeping them in that box, because there is that difference between a relationship and a transaction. And sometimes we've gotten to the point where we're kind of mixing the two, you know, either based on who we're giving our money to or who we're viewing, you know, the products of. And it is scary. It is really scary as a consumer to think that I'm being sold this, you know, black box. And so why not just make the box a little more transparent and why not take it out of the civic realm? Yep. You know, I mean, right. that sounds really reasonable to me. And this has been incredible. Thank you. It's not where we thought we would be. I can tell you. <laughs> in, some sense, in some sense, you may not know this, but you actually challenged the, the very premise of the our very season. Premise of our season. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, <laughs> but it's good. No, don't, we be can, yeah. Yeah. don't be sorry. Don't be sorry. It's actually great because that's that's what we wanted to do. And that's why we're here. Eric, it's been great having you Thank here. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Off. It's been great. Thank okay. you. Thank great you. to meet you. Wow. 
that interview was n- not where I expected we were going to go. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting. We started out with this whole notion of, you know, there are new actors who are mm-hmm. really shape, shaping civic space, and we wanted this season to be about really interviewing those new actors. And, you know, Eric comes in and says, maybe not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and he draws this incredibly clear, or so far it seems like a clear division between the kinds of organizations that should focus on transactions, right? And the kinds of organizations that should focus on relationships. And it's making me think a lot about, I think I've told you this kind of off air, this book I'm reading right now by Michael Sandel called The Moral Limits of Markets. Incredible book, highly recommend to people, very easy to read. And it's all about kind of exactly this, which is why did economists start all of a sudden including like psychology and behavioral studies as a part of economics. Like, no, 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 (laughs) that's a different discipline. Let's not bridge them because then all of a sudden we're giving these economists or people that are thinking about markets a lot more authority and authority in industries that, or in in conversations that they really shouldn't have any authority for. Exactly. And that's kind of what I heard Eric saying. And maybe, you know, maybe the thing from, we should take from Eric is not that, being engaged in civic life mm-hmm. uh, that some people should do and some shouldn't, mm-hmm. but that if you are a transactional-based mm-hmm. organization, mm-hmm. you should actually not lose that and pretend you're something else yes. as you're engaging in civic space. Yes. Because it's that lack of clarity yes. right, that really confuses people. Right. Where they think they're stepping in something that's going to be relational and it's not going to be. Right. You can be very clear that no, this is actually a transactional yeah. space. Yeah. And we enter that and there are some civic things we can take up as transactional things. Yeah. And you know that, I know that. Mm-hmm. We understand what the rules are. Mm-hmm. In these relational spaces, it will be different. Right. Right. And you know, the other thing that I t- had to take away about was not just this sort of clarity, but the other part of it was that engaging in civic spaces isn't inherently a good thing. Yes. And I think that's an assumption I also walked in with, right, is like those people that are taking on the extra effort, like kudos to them, you know, for like being a part of shaping public life and shaping civic life, even as industry players. And he was like, wait, that's not inherently good. Let's not automatically pat them on the back for taking on that role, because maybe there's a bigger question here about like who even deserves to take on that role? And I appreciated that as well. Yeah, what does it mean to be prepared to take on that role? Mm-hmm. And, and where do you need to be coming from mm-hmm. to actually add value mm-hmm. in the right way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, that was, that was a really was, powerful conversation. Yeah. I'm really glad we you know, started with him because yeah. it would have been really embarrassing to end with him <laughs> and say, oh, we got that wrong. You know? Right, and now <laughs> so, we're going to have a whole different you know, gamut of uh, interviews and guests to bring into our studio given yeah. the conversation we had with them. So... You know, the the audience is here with us on our journey to yeah. evolve the to evolve the scope and our and our questions for these interviews. Yeah, so I hope you do appreciate uh, the fact that we are involving this, evolving this as exactly. we go through, and we appreciate your uh, we going on this journey feedback. with us. Take your feedback, <laughs> and uh, who do we have with us next? Well, we'll be talking with David Wertheimer from the Gates, formerly from the Gates Foundation, the director of democracy. And we're going to continue this conversation around transactions and relations with them. So stay tuned. We'll see you in two weeks. We're a production of the Department of Urban Studies and Planning at MIT with support from MIT's Office of Open Learning. 
Our sound is produced by Dave Lashansky. Our content by Julia Cubrera and Misael Galdemez. I'm Ayushi Roy. I'm Susan McDowell. And you can find us online at themove.mit.edu. And on our Medium site at medium.com forward slash themovemit, as well as our Twitter and Facebook. Thanks so much. Goodbye.